Good morning, Sun West. Uh, it's good to be with you guys. We've had a good morning uh, so far already. Uh, in this series, I want to believe in God, but we've been looking at hurdles or challenges that people have to putting their faith in God, the hurdles that they have to believing in God. And uh, we did a survey uh, last month in which we collected uh, kind of responses to that question. I want to believe in God, but fill in the blank. Uh, and there was consistently the same themes uh, throughout those responses. And so we've taken some of those themes and we've put them together into kind of five uh, sermon blocks. And we're on uh, number three, uh, which we'll get to in a second. But the, the general premise of this sermon series has been basically that there are things that we believe about God uh, that are distorted views of God. And so when we believe false things about God, it actually leads us to a place of unbelief, ironically. Uh, and so we're taking a look at those distorted views that we have of God, and then uh, on the flip side, uh, what is the truth, uh, and, and what, it, what is true about God that we can actually bank on, that we can put our faith into. And so hopefully, as we've gone through the series, if you had some of these questions of, I want to believe in God, but uh, we've covered uh, some of your uh, concerns or hurdles that you personally uh, might have. Next week, I think, is the biggest hurdle that I've heard uh, consistently over my, uh, I don't know what it is, 15 or 16 years as a pastor. Uh, the biggest question uh, that always comes to me, and that I'm still trying to answer, uh, and uh, I'm, not, I'm not making any promises. But next week, uh, we're looking at the, the view of the heartless God, uh, which is, I want to believe in God, but uh, why do bad things happen? You know, if God is all good, if he's all powerful, why do bad things happen? Uh, which is a great question which people have been asking for all of history. Uh, and so we're going to dive deep into that historical big question next week. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, and then uh, in the fifth week, the last week of the series, we're going to look at the anti-science God. Uh, you know, one of the comments that came back repeatedly in the survey was, uh, you know, I want to believe in God, but uh, there's a lot of scientific uh, proof that God doesn't exist or other explanations for things other than what Christians uh, tend to give. And so we'll look at that in the fifth week. Uh, so yeah, the whole premise is we believe certain truths about God, and then we actually believe in certain lies that we don't know our lies. And so just to help us get oriented around this idea, we've been doing two truths and a lie with some faces that you might be familiar with, names that you might be familiar with. So uh, today we're going to pick on Kendall Friesen, Friesen, Feenstra. Uh, I knew a Kendall Friesen in college. That's why I often mess that up. Um, uh, it was a he. Uh, so I, I, I give Kendall a hard time about that sometimes. Uh, is, is, is that a guy name? Uh, anyways, uh, Kendall, uh, our children's uh, pastor. Uh, some of you haven't met Kendall yet. Uh, you maybe don't know what she looks like. Maybe you come in the last year and she's been on mat leave. And so what, is, what does Kendall even look like? Well, I got a picture of Kendall just to help you get oriented. Uh, there, uh, she <laughs> looks similar to that. Oh, that's... You'll, you'll meet her. You'll go to, I, I actually don't have a picture of, of Kendall. That was Colton in his glory days uh, with his long flowing locks. Okay, two truths and a lie for Kendall. Uh, she said, and one of these is a lie, I've always wanted to live in Calgary. My real name is Valerie. I am lactose intolerant. Okay, so who thinks it's number one? I've always wanted to live in Calgary. Okay. Some people say that's a lie. Uh, who thinks my real name is Valerie? Put up your hand. Okay. And I am lactose intolerant. Okay, we're split pretty evenly among those three. That's the, that's the sign of a you know, good, 
good job doing the two truths and a lie if, if it's split evenly. And so the actual answer is, I've always wanted to live in Calgary. That was the lie. <laughs> Kendall has never wanted to live in Calgary. Um, and she grew up in Lethbridge. How bad does she think Calgary is? I don't um, anyway, so that's the, that's the lie. Uh, but we believe certain lies about God as well. And so one of the lies, uh, that, the misconceptions that we want to kind of unpack, the distorted views of God that we have, this, that we're going to look at this morning, is goosebump God. I'm calling it the goosebump God. I want to believe in God, but I don't feel him. I don't sense him. I don't hear his voice. I don't hear him speak audibly. I've, I've, I've prayed and I got no response uh, as one person said in the survey, the response, I want to believe in God, but they said, if God is real, why doesn't he engage with us in a tangible way? Believing in something unseen and without having a personal interaction with God feels like playing make-believe or it's false. And so I appreciate the honesty of that response. And I think many of us, if we're honest, uh, we, we would have given that response at least at some point in our life. If not, maybe you feel that way right now. Maybe you haven't experienced God's the way others have, the way other people talk about him. And you come to church and, the, and people got their hands in the air, or you see people crying. Or maybe you joined a group because you don't want to do life alone, and so you jump into a group, and there's that annoying person in the group that's, you know, that God said this to me, and, and God showed up for this way in my life. And I was driving, and, the, and my favorite song in the radio came on, and I just sensed God's presence there. And I went to the mall, and I prayed for a parking spot, and the parking spot was there right in the front. And, you know, I got my... My, uh, my son got accepted to this prestigious university and God is so good. And you're like, man, I was driving and I hated all the songs. And I went to the mall and I couldn't find a parking space. And then I got out and it was raining. And then my son got rejected from community college. And where's God in my life? Yeah, we got some amens going on here. Yeah, some... So I think we can relate. You know, the, you start to hang out with people of faith enough and you're like am i missing something why does everyone else seem to get it and i don't why does everyone else seem to have these experiences and i'm left without now show of hands how many of you have ever felt at any point in your life would you say the the presence of god in your life we got many people raising their hands and so i, I pose this question how do you know that it was god how do you know you felt god Maybe you got goosebumps or you started crying or you had a peaceful feeling. You know, you got that, that tingly feeling of God's presence. But wasn't that awfully like that tingly feeling you got when you sat next to the girl you really, really liked? Maybe uh, you, felt, you, you felt like you, God's presence was with you and you started crying. Uh, but what about that YouTube video that you just started crying at? that you watched the other night, or that concert. You know, maybe you got that peaceful feeling, but how do you know that was God? Do, you know, what about that bubble bath where you turn on the candles and you had Kenny G playing and uh, you felt just a sense of peace? How do you know which one was God, which one wasn't? How do you know if you actually felt God? For many of you that put up your hand and said, you know, I felt God. So those are good questions. Not only the question of, uh, I haven't felt God, but even if you have felt God, how do you know that that was God? And if you didn't feel God in church today, this morning, whose fault was it? Was it God's fault? Did he not show up? Were, you in spirit, were your spiritual antennas not you know, pointing in the right direction? Was it the worship leader's fault? Come on, Drew, like pick some better songs. He didn't pick my favorite song. 
The presence of God is so much bigger than our feelings. The presence of God is so much bigger than our feelings. And if you don't always feel the presence of God, you're not alone. If you don't always feel the presence of God, you're not alone. And sometimes, even if we don't have the answer to the question of where is God, sometimes this truth is encouraging even of of itself. When you show up and you think, am I the only one? Let me just answer that question right away and say, you're not the only one. That lots of people sense God's absence. In fact, people throughout history have documented this, have talked about this. We have people in the scriptures themselves, these faith heroes that talk about moments where they wonder where God is. I mean, if we just look at Psalm 88, it reads, O Lord, I cry out to you. I will keep on pleading day by day. O Lord, why do you reject me? Why do you turn your face from me? And so the psalmist is, is talking about this experience, this lack of experience, as they try and figure out where God is in the midst of their life. And you can look at spiritual greats in the Bible. David, who wrote many of the Psalms, uh, he had very intimate times with God. We can know that through the Psalms. He was referred to as a man after God's own heart. And he was the guy who wrote, yet even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. So he had moments even in his darkest places where he felt God's presence, but he was also the same one that would write questions like, where are you? I can't feel you. Why aren't you answering my prayers? Why are you allowing my enemies to do this? God, have you forgotten about me? David didn't always feel God. Even as much as when we read the Psalms, we think he did. If you read the other Psalms, you realize that he didn't. That wasn't the the always experience. We can look at Paul in the New Testament. He wrote much of the New Testament in your Bibles, and this guy experienced the risen Christ. He had this powerful moment of experience with God where he was uh, stopped on the road, where God blinded him, where God spoke to him uh, in an audible voice. And we think, man, that's an incredible experience with God. Yet we don't think about the next 17 years of his life. The next 17 years of his life after that moment, uh, he spent waiting. And we often think he had that moment and then he went on to ministry, started planning churches and doing missionary activities. No, there were 17 years of his life where he waited and waited and waited and he was making tents and he was doing mundane life and and just working a normal everyday job. And we often think he just went from, you know, big experience with God to the next experience with God. That wasn't the case. There was 17 years where there was just kind of nothing. Where are you, God? I don't feel you. When we think of even Jesus himself, Jesus, in his most vulnerable moment, hanging on the cross, Jesus, the one who had this level of intimacy with God the Father, you know, this mystery of the the Trinity where God is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and I don't even try to understand that mystery, but we see this moment on the cross where Jesus, God's Son, is sitting there, or hanging there, in his most vulnerable moment, most desperate moment, and he says, God, my God, where are you? Why have you forsaken me? When I needed you most, I don't sense your presence. I don't know where you are. Christ followers throughout history have documented hard moments when they can't sense God. C.S. Lewis, one of the great heroes in the Christian faith, one of my favorite authors, describes this absence of God in his life, and he says, I got a door slammed in my face, and the sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside, and after that, silence 
And C.S. Lewis is referring to God slamming the door in his face and being silent. And he went on to say that this caused him to doubt the very presence of God and wrestle with his faith. And he continues in a metaphorical way. And listen to what he says. He says, There are no lights in the windows. It might be an empty house. Was it ever inhabited? It seemed to once. Why is God so present a commander in our time of prosperity and so very absent to help in time of trouble? So we look at Paul, and we look at David, we look at Jesus, we look at C.S. Lewis, and uh, we, look, we could look at a bunch of other people in the Bible or other people in, uh, in faith and history, and we'll see that this idea of God being absent or not experiencing God's presence is actually normative. And so if you've caught yourself thinking, man, I don't feel God, it seems like everybody else gets it, that right there is a lie, uh, that everybody experiences moments in their life of absence, moments in their life of doubt, moments where they don't necessarily sense or feel God, uh, but faith is bigger than feelings, and we're going to talk about that this morning. So I want to look at three possible reasons why some of you uh, may say, I want to believe in God, but I just don't feel Him. I don't sense Him. Uh, And for sure, there's probably more than three, but we'll look at three this morning. Uh, Three kind of false assumptions, uh, and so we're going to kind of debunk them. So maybe you're not sensing God's presence uh, because you're over-sensationalizing it. You're over-sensationalizing it. And so you're doing exactly what the disciples did in John chapter 6, where they said, uh, so they asked Jesus, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What are you going to do, Jesus? And then they started using their experience of others, you know, comparing their experience with others' experience and and history. And they said, our ancestors ate man in the wilderness. It's written that God gave them bread from heaven to eat. God did this. God did that miracle. There's bread from heaven. Do something like that. Why them? Why not me? Why back then? Why not now? If you did that for them, then why can't you do it for us? And so these are the questions that Jesus' very own disciples are, are asking. They're living with... God incarnate, God with flesh on, day in and day out, and yet that still wasn't enough. They were looking for a greater experience than that which they had. They wanted more. And how much would have been enough? You know, Jesus goes on to to actually talk about the danger of sign-seeking and experience-seeking and missing out on the very presence of God because you're looking for it in the wrong places. And we'll get to that in a second. But maybe you're not sensing God's presence because you're over-sensationalizing it, over-sensationalizing it. I'll get that word yet. You can't feel him. You're trying to look for this, uh, this specific direction. You know, you open your Bible and you're, you're looking for that verse that you put your finger on. It's just, you know, thou shalt quit my job and move to Saskatoon. You're trying to find it. And, and then you recognize God would never say that. God would never <laughs> call me to Saskatchewan. You're looking for that angel with like the spinning pizza sign. As, as saying, go this way. And then you're just disappointed. Uh, maybe you can relate to, relate to those disciples that that are comparing their experience with other experiences of other people and saying, God, where are you? I heard this. I've seen this. I've heard other stories about this. It seems like everybody gets it, but I don't. Uh, You're not alone. And perhaps we're missing out because we're over-sensationalizing God and what it means to have God's presence in our lives. One of my favorite passages in Scripture is in 1 Kings 19. 
And it has to do with Elijah. Elijah just had this epic moment of God and, and this moment of victory, and God showed up in miraculous ways and all the signs that we could hope and dream about. God did that for Elijah. And then he finds himself in like this moment of anxiety and depression and wondering where the presence of God is and asking all these uh, existential crisis questions, and God shows up uh, in this way. So in 1 Kings 19, Elijah kind of in the valley at the bottom, wondering where God is. Uh, this is what it, it says in the scripture. It says, God speaks to him and says, go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And, uh, and as Elijah stood there, what does it say? The Lord passed by. Everybody say the Lord passed by. So how did he pass by? That's the question. How, 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 how does the story unravel here? It says, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose. But, what does it say? Read it out loud. The Lord was not in the wind. So the spectacular, sensational moment, and the scripture says, very simply, the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but then I want to say, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. Surely, I, you know, I'm looking for God's presence, and then he showed up in the spectacular way. God, there was this earthquake, but the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. And then after the earthquake, there was a fire. What does it say? But the Lord was not in the fire. How many times do we look for God in, in the sensational things, in the, in the big things? If you read on in the story, it says, And after the fire, there was the sound of a what? Gentle whisper. The gentle whisper. And then God spoke to Elijah in his darkest moment, in his lowest place, not through the fire, not through the windstorm, not through the earthquake, not through maybe the sensational things that we would often hope he would, but through a gentle whisper. And we're going to come back to that in a few moments. But, but we cover the topic of God's voice and why God prefers to speak in a, uh, a whisper um, in our Hearing God course, which we're going to be running in November. So this is just my shameless plug. Uh, it's coming up shortly. Uh, but if you've ever wondered, what does God's voice sound like? How come I never hear God's voice how do I learn to hear God's voice? Uh, you know, God, I believe, is speaking all the time. Uh, but often, we're looking for his voice in maybe the wrong places, and we assume it sounds different than it does. Uh, and so I would encourage you to participate in that course in November when we launch that. Uh, but I'll leave it there for now. God speaks to Elijah in the gentle whisper. And we have to understand that feelings are not evidence of the presence of God. Feelings are not the only evidence that God's presence is with us. And before I go on, I just need to make sure you understand that feelings, God can speak through our feelings. Uh, when I was doing the Hearing God course last time, we were uh, talking among the participants on how they grew up in church and they were told that, uh, you know, that faith was very stoic and that you know, God doesn't use our feelings at all. Well, that's not true. God uses our feelings and emotions all the time. Uh, but God's presence is more than our feelings and emotions. So I just want to be clear about that. Um, so feelings are not the only evidence that God is with us. If you always felt God, uh, you wouldn't need faith. And in, in fact, scriptures say that it is impossible to please God without faith. And so maybe you've been missing out on God's presence because you're just not looking in the right places. You've been over-sensationalizing what that even means or what that looks like. Number two, a reason why you might not feel God right now is maybe your heart has hardened. 
You were close to God at one point in your life, but now your heart is not soft to the things of God. You can think back to moments maybe where you felt like God was so close, and now what happened? God, you seem so far away. In Matthew 13, Jesus says, When you hear what I say, you will not understand. When you see what I do, you will not comprehend. And why? Why would this happen, Jesus? Well, he answers the question right away. He says, The hearts of these people are hardened. The hearts of these people are hardened, and their ears cannot hear. They have closed their eyes so their eyes cannot see, and their ears cannot hear, and their hearts cannot understand, and they cannot turn to me and let me heal them. And I don't want to scare you, but perhaps some of you, your hearts have grown hard towards God because, and the number one reason our hearts harden towards God is because of sin in our lives. And let me explain it to you this way. If you sin against God, it doesn't believe that you all of a sudden stop becoming a Christian. That's not the way it works. Um, so uh, all have sinned and fallen short of the, the glory of God. Uh, obviously not. Uh, obviously you still are a Christian even when you sin against God. But what happens is that sin breaks intimacy with God. Think about it this way. Uh, you know, if, if your husband, if you're married, your husband and a wife, and the husband uh, commits adultery with, with another woman, commits adultery, I was going to say with his wife, but that doesn't... So, you understand what I'm saying? He commits adultery. Uh, do they stop being married? Well, depending on how they decide to move forward, uh, potentially. But the act in and of itself does not stop them from being married. But do you think that that decision that the husband made would affect the intimacy of that couple? Yes or no? I, f- I felt like it was an obvious question, but maybe, maybe not. Uh, obviously, Yes. Obviously, yes. When you break relationship, when when you make decisions that impact the other person, it affects the intimacy of the relationship. Trust is broken. Sin separates the fellowship and the relationship that is there. And that's what happens with God. Whenever we live in ongoing sin, and like I said, we all mess up regularly, but I'm talking about ongoing sin that we continue to live in without repenting or without turning or without changing, without confessing. It's like plaque on our heart. It grows hard, and suddenly we find ourselves with the sense that God is absent. And He's not actually absent, but our hearts have hardened to the things of God. Our hearts have become hard to the things that are on His heart. Now, let's unpack this for a moment. Imagine it's super cold outside. Let's say minus 25. You know, in about a month, you won't have to imagine. Don't worry. Uh, but right now, let's just say it's minus 25 outside and it's freezing and you, you get out all your snow gear, uh, you get your, your toque on, yeah, you get your ski pants on, you get your big boots, your sorrels on, you get your jacket on. Well, before, even before you put your jacket on, you got like those underwear, the merino wool underwear, you put those on under, under and then you put your jacket on, and, th- and then you got your, your, your face mask on, and you walk outside, and what do you not feel when you walk outside? You don't feel the cold. And in fact, you might even sweat if you start working a little bit. What has happened? Well, there's something between your body and the environment that is preventing you from feeling what is actually around you. And sin is like that. When you have sin, ongoing sin in your life, it actually hardens you, it insulates you from the presence of God in your life. And I know we don't often like to think about this, uh, but the Bible talks about this quite a bit. 
If there's sin in your life, it actually impacts your relationship with God. Now, it doesn't mean that you don't have a relationship with God, it just has impacted your intimacy with God. And so if you ask the question, you know, I, tr- I, I, I want God's presence in my life, this might be a reason why you don't sense God's presence in your life. And many of us think, well, you know, I don't have the big sins, and so I should probably be okay, and I don't know what you categorize as, as the big sins. Uh, it'd be interesting to hear that list, but uh, let's even talk about the sanitized sins. And by sanitized sins, I mean, you know, the sins that are generally culturally accepted that we never, ever talk about. Uh, so culture says, you know, everybody does it, it's not that big of a deal, and so you go on living with it and allowing it to remain in your life, uh, and it doesn't, it's, it's not a big deal in your mind. Uh, yet it might be impacting the intimacy that you have uh, with God. You know, something like envy, for example. You can't go on Instagram without thinking, you know, I want that house. I want that trip. I want that camping trailer. I want that mountain bike. I mean, who would ever envy somebody else's mountain bike? I don't know, that seems like such a weird thing. Um, I want that life. I want those friends. And then pretty soon you find yourself like, I hate them. I hate her. I hate, I hate that person. I hate all my friends. I don't know why they're even my friends. I want to block them. Uh, envy. It's kind of like the environment that we live in. And our social media world just kind of just throws gas on that fire. And you begin to live with it. You don't even begin to think about it. But maybe that's one of those sanitized sins that has actually just creeped its way into your life or something like gossip you know, is another one that we, we don't ever really even think about. But how do we talk about other people? Can I tell you about so-and-so? I mean, right now in our culture, we have no problems talking. You know, it's not, a, it's not an issue that we deal with now, right? Like other groups, other people that think differently than us and talking about them when they're not in the room, like, we don't do that, right? Not a thing. Can I tell you about so-and-so? And then we, like, really sanitize it with, like, you know, faith. And, you know, let's just... Let's pray for so-and-so. You know what's going on in their life? Gossip. It's socially acceptable. But what is it doing to your heart? Or lust. And we think, oh, I haven't cheated on anybody, but you've allowed your thought life for whatever reason to, to run rampant, and you haven't really addressed it. And you begin to feel numb, and your heart feels hard. And then on the other hand, you're wondering, hey, I don't feel God's presence. And I'm not trying to say these things to just throw a bunch of weight on you, but we could talk about laziness and gluttony, and we could talk about all these other things that, you know, just things that are generally not a big deal in our world, but they do impact our relationship with God. The sanitized sin that just kind of lives there, it's kind of around all the time. So every now and then you need to do a quick gut check and and think, you know, why am I feeling this way? What's going on in my heart? Lord, is there actually sin that I've entertained that I didn't even realize that I need to confess, uh, that I need to repent of? And the word repent just means to to do a a change, to change your mind, to change your course. You know, in James it says to confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed. And so don't do life alone. And I'm not talking about confessing your sins to everybody, but maybe there's a couple of people in your life or one person in your life that you can actually begin that practice and saying, you know what, I care so much about my relationship with God and others that I'm not going to let sin uh, destroy or or make me numb uh, to God and other people in my life. And I know this because I've had to go through it countless times in my whole life where I've had to recognize sin that has just kind of gone underneath the surface and I realize it's affecting my relationship with God and others. And I've had to repent. I've had to confess to others. I've had to ask God for forgiveness. 
You know, King David, who uh, was a man after God's own heart, uh, he did a lot of sinning. I, if, you know, if you know David's story, you know, he slept with another guy's wife. He got her pregnant. He killed her husband to, uh, to, to cover up for it. And so, you know, he has a good list of, uh, of sins running. Uh, he, he prayed in Psalm 51, God, create in me a pure heart, renew within me a right spirit. Restore to me the joy of thy salvation. And David wasn't called a man after God's own heart because he lived so perfectly. He was called a, God, a man after God's own heart because he recognized the sin that was in his life and wanted nothing more to go back to God's heart, to sense his presence, to be pleasing to him. So maybe your heart is hard and maybe you don't feel the presence of God because you've got sin that is blocking or insulating you from the presence of God that's around you. Um, and there, there's reasons that our hearts get hard outside of sin as well. And one of the other main reasons... Uh, is that there's just a lack of intentionality and intimacy in your life. Uh, and I know how this goes. Our lives get busy. I have a busy life as well. And it's hard to carve out time to connect with God. Uh, but it's like any other relationship. If you're dating, if you're married, if you've got friends, if you don't put time into a relationship, uh, you should not be surprised that you feel distant from that person. And so maybe this morning is just an encouragement to actually start carving out time, creating margin in your life, to pray, to journal, uh, to, to, get back in your, to get back in the Bible again. Uh, and again, we talk about a bunch of these practices in the hearing God's course. Okay, so number three. So the first reason, maybe you're over-sensualizing it. Uh, the second reason, maybe your heart is hardened. Or the third reason, uh, maybe God wants to draw you closer. And you think, huh? That makes no sense. So stay with me here for a minute. minute. Maybe the reason that you aren't experiencing God's presence is because God wants to draw you closer. In Acts 17, it says, From one man he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand that they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. And then it says, His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him, though he is not far from any one of this, one of us. Why did God do this? He did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, come closer to him. What does deprivation do? Deprivation draws out desire. If I don't eat for a while, what do I get? Hungry. If I don't drink for a while, what do I get? Thirsty. If I don't sense the presence of God, I might just start becoming more hungry and thirsty for God. You know, as I mentioned, we can live busy lives. Uh, and, you know, when, you know, there's lots of things that have been bad about the last, you know, year and a half and during this whole COVID stuff. Uh, but there's been some things that are really, really nice. You know, before COVID hit, I remember you got three kids, all three are in sports. We got, uh, you know, I, I coached on a high school team and then I was involved in coaching a couple of my kids on their teams and then I got another kid who was playing another sport and it wasn't uncommon that we would have three or four events in an evening. And I, I can remember times where, um, you know, I'm, I'm like driving home from work, picking up the kids, Lisa's going out the door, she's handing me a hot, some hot food as I'm walking in the, driving up in the driveway and she's leaving the driveway and then I'm like driving with one knee and like eating, uh, 
It was really safe. E- eating my, my supper that she handed to me, uh, and, and our lives would go on like this. And I was like, this is just crazy. And, and as time goes like that, you know what I started to sense is that, man, Lisa and I haven't connected in a long time. And then that, that lack of connection actually makes me think of her. It makes me want to spend time with her. It, we, we start to think, man, we've got to find moments and pockets to connect. And, and, and it's that whole moniker of absence makes the heart grow stronger. And sometimes God actually, I think, distances himself from us to draw us closer. Just because God is silent doesn't mean God is absent. Just because he's silent doesn't mean he's absent. And, and feelings are not faith. Uh, and sometimes in God's absence, it actually increases our hunger and our thirst to connect with him. And so instead of saying, you know, what's wrong with me? Where is God? Maybe it's just an invitation to draw closer to God. We need to pursue him regardless of what we may feel. Look at what Jeremiah said in, in chapter 29. He said, if you seek me wholeheartedly, what does it say? You will find me. If you seek me wholeheartedly, you will find me. This might be all, any, uh, all you need to hear for, for some of you this morning. This might be the only point you need to hear. If you seek me wholeheartedly, you will find me. Perhaps God is going to create a longing in your heart. Perhaps his absence actually creates a hunger and a thirst in your heart that that's, you start to think, man, I want to connect with God. Man, I want to know God. I want to draw on. I want to press into his presence. And maybe the only prayer that you can muster up is, I want to want you, God. There's been times in my life where that's the only thing I feel like I can pray is, I, don't need, I feel numb. I feel hardened, but God, I want to want you. I want to want you. In Matthew 6, 33, Jesus said something similar to Jeremiah. He said, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things all these worries, all, these, all the anxiousness uh, in the context of what Jesus was saying at the moment is going to be given to you, is going to be added to your life. But seek first his kingdom. Let me go back to this whisper idea, the gentle whisper. So God prefers to speak to us in a whisper, and there's lots and lots of ways that he can speak to us and that he does speak to us. And uh, we, got, we have people at SunWest that hear God in all sorts of ways, but the most common way that God has spoken throughout history, and even today, is through a gentle whisper. What happens when somebody whispers? You know, if you walk in a classroom, there's usually two tactics that teachers have. One tactic, they just try and yell louder than the class. Right, you guys had teachers like that? We got some teachers like that in this room, I think, uh, where the, the class is out of control and their, their way of gaining control is just to get louder and louder and louder until the, the class silences. But there's another tactic. Some teachers actually get quieter and quieter and quieter, and they just start speaking in a whisper. Uh, what happens is, is it actually causes the people in the classroom to, to lean in, to quiet themselves, to wonder what God is saying. What happens when somebody shouts all the time? Do you have anybody in your life that has like a shouting, talking voice, and you're just like, ugh? You're like, I'm not even listening anymore. I, I have one child. Uh, I have three childs, uh, but I got one child in sp- specifically who s- seems to have one volume, uh, and uh, everything is extreme all the time. And he, uh, and he's crying or screaming at every little thing. And I remember when he was little, it used to work. It doesn't work so well anymore. I'd pull up my phone and I'd be like, 
okay, call 911, call the ambulance. And he'd be like, no, 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 dad, dad's fine. No, it's fine. They'll, they'll come, they'll pick you up, they'll take you to the hospital. And he's, he's trying to calm down. And, uh, and pretty soon he's like, okay, no, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. I was like, so he, he's just always overreacting uh, to everything, crying to everything. And uh, I remember a couple years ago, we were out on a mountain bike ride, uh, and, and, uh, and he's like whining all the time because he tends to whine every time he has to pedal the bike. I was like, that's why the pedals are there. You actually have to do a little bit of work once in a while. So we're, we're, he's whining, he's crying, uh, and I can hear him way back there, and I'm just, I'm like, whatever. Uh, he'll, he'll figure it out. And I can hear the crying getting louder. I'm like, give me a break. And then he, he rolls up, and I finally wait for him. He rolls up behind me, and he's got like this big gash open on his shin. And I can see like all this white pus coming out, and his, his leg is covered in blood. And I was like, oh my goodness. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry I left you behind. Uh, but I said, do you understand what happens is you cry all the time. Your, your volume is here all the time. And so when something bad actually happens, I have no idea. And so maybe this can be a learning experience for you that, that you just got to chill, you know, 95% of your life, and then that 5% that's actually serious, people are, are going to respond to you. Um, anyway, that's a long, drawn-out way of just me saying, if, if someone is speaking at a loud, sensational uh, volume all the time, two things happen. You start to drown them out. And if something ever serious happens and they need to get your attention, you don't actually pay attention. And I believe that the whisper of God is most conducive to intimacy with God, um, but it also is most conducive for making us aware of when God needs to get our attention in other ways. And we see throughout Scripture that God does speak and move in miraculous ways, um, and it's often for a purpose and a reason. But the everyday, mundane relationship with God is actually lived out through this whispering, intimate relationship where he draws us in. Why can't I feel God? Maybe you are over-sensationalizing it. Maybe your heart is hard. And the invitation this morning is to actually repent and change direction, confess to one another so that you may be healed, find somebody in your life, maybe come forward at the end of service for prayer. Uh, Maybe you don't sense God's presence in your life because he's actually trying to draw you closer. And instead of saying, I'm, I'm just going to walk away, I don't need this faith thing, it's, it's an invitation to lean in, to find the whisper of God, to create margin in your life to connect with Him. And I promise you, because God promises you, if you seek Him, you will find Him. If you seek Him, you will find Him. And the way that God has designed this relationship to be lived out with him is, is that only those who are actually honestly seeking him and connecting with him will find him. And so I simply end this morning asking, is that what you want? Do you want to connect with God? Do you want that intimacy with God? Well, then seek him. Seek him. I'm going to invite you to stand as we move into a closing song. Allow me to pray for you. I would encourage you, if you don't know what it means to see God, we would love to walk you through that. Um, in our starting point classes, our hearing God classes, we, we give tools for doing this. Um, uh, but regular time of devotions in the morning, journaling, connecting in community, uh, learning to hear God's voice. Uh, just like any relationship, we actually have to build uh, that relationship. And I would encourage you to take intentional steps 
uh, to do that if you feel like that's something that would be of value to you. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you uh, that you are there in the everyday moments, that you are there even when we don't feel you, that you are working even when we can't sense you working. Lord, we thank you that you are speaking even when we are busy and loud and not paying attention. Uh, Lord, allow us to slow down our hearts and our mind enough to hear your whisper. Lord, we live in a noisy world, and I pray that you would teach us in this time of noise how to quiet our hearts and our minds to hear your voice. Lord, I pray for those in the room this morning that their hearts feel hard. Lord, they, they don't even have a desire to know you. Lord, I pray that uh, they would at least muster that prayer, I want to want you. And that you would meet them where they're at, Lord, in that, in that little prayer, whatever little desire they have, Lord, that you would fan that into flame. Lord, I pray for those who have uh, sin that's just underneath the surface, uh, Lord, that you would help them to see it, that you would help them to name it, Uh, Lord, that they would give that to you. We thank you that you are quick to forgive. And we thank you for your grace that forgives us and empowers us to live differently. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. At SunWest, um, we exist to guide people into lifelong, authentic relationship with Jesus. Uh, We invite you to experience God's uh, friendship with you and to meet lifelong friends here, friends that care about you, friends that help you when you're in trouble, uh, and yet we don't do that perfectly because I just preached a whole sermon with my belt hanging between my legs, and not one of you, not one of you came to the front of the stage to say, hey, your belt is hanging between your legs. I don't even know what to say. I'm embarrassed, I'm disappointed in you. I'm disappointed in the community I thought that we had developed here over the years, and I just, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going I'm to invite the prayer teams forward, um, and they would love to pray for you. Uh, if you feel like uh, God is asking you to repent for the kind of friend that you've been, um, or anything else in your life, or to celebrate with them, they would love to pray for you, um, and I'll be available after the service as well. Thank you for joining us. Uh, let me pray and bless you. And just a reminder that Starting Point closes or starts next week. Uh, we uh, invite you to register for that on the app or on the website. So Lord, we thank you that you work uh, in spite of us. Uh, Lord, that there's grace uh, for one another. Uh, we thank you uh, that you are with us, that your presence is with us, even when we don't feel you, even when we don't sense you. Lord, may, the, may we not default to doubting your presence with us. Uh, Lord, may we learn to live life uh, in faith, trusting you, whether we're in moments that are high moments or low moments, Lord, that we would live lives that are marked by our trust and our faith in you. Lord, may you increase our faith. In Jesus' name, Lord, would you increase our faith? Lord, in these times where we feel all sorts of emotions, uh, Lord, may we, be more an- may we be anchored beyond our emotions. Yes, may we pay attention to them and what you're saying within them, Lord, but may we not be actually marked and turned and swayed by what we're feeling, but swayed by your direction, your presence, your lordship in our lives. 
and so if there's someone here this morning, Lord, that has never actually uh, bent their knee to you, to invite you to be Lord of their life, Lord, I pray that you would actually speak, that they would sense your presence and your voice this morning, that, uh, that they would give their lives to you, Lord, because you are good, you love us, you made a way for us to know you, and Lord, you want to lead us uh, in this life. And so we, we thank you for that. Uh, in Jesus' name, I pray. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you for joining us and uh, for coming. Uh, have a great week. Prayer teams will be available uh, now.